Hey, hey, everybody. It's Nick Kolakowski, and this is Noir on the Radio. Tonight, my guest is Rusty Barnes, who is the founder and editor-in-chief of Tough Magazine, a journal of hard-boiled fiction and reviews. He's also the author of The Last Danger, newly out from Shotgun Honey, which is the sequel to Ridge Runner. Both books take place on the beautiful but dangerous border between Pennsylvania and western New York, with some diversions into Canada. Hey, Rusty. Hey, man. How you doing? Good. How are you? Having a good time. Having a good time. Excellent. We just made um, we just made the family and I a list of all the good things that happened to us in 2018 because we got sort of caught up in uh, in uh, everything that was going wrong in the country and the way we saw things going. So we actually sat down tonight and made a list of everything that went right. So I feel pretty good. Right uh, that's now. a that's a, that's a really 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 good technique. I can see I can see that that would be you know just in terms of putting stuff into perspective and then hopefully consequently feeling you know at least a little bit better about things i mean that's i should try that that sounds like a really good technique for just kind of getting a little bit of mental equal equilibrium back huh yeah it's, it's good for, it's good for us you know with the family you know because we just you know we tend to get locked into our routines and the the news cycle is absolutely brutal as you know yeah. so anything we can do to to sort of get ourselves away from that and into the positive things that have happened you know, like um, stuff that's happened with Tough this year, for example, you know, has been really good. Yeah, I wanted I wanted to talk about that. The um, and it, it, it's interesting that you sort of bring up optimism and everything like that because I was having a conversation with a couple of writers the other day, and this this almost kind of contrary idea came up where. You know, the thing about hard-boiled fiction and noir and so on is that not a whole lot of good tends to happen to the protagonist. Sometimes there's a happy ending or at least a stab at a happy ending, but for the most part, you know, the protagonist and the antagonist tend to live very miserable existences for the duration of the story. But what this one writer was saying to me was that the stories made him feel perversely optimistic if only because what was happening to the fictional characters was so much worse than what was actually going on in his actual life that it, that it put the things into perspective for him. You know, you have a bad day, the car breaks down, all this crap is going on, but at least, you know, you're not breathing your last in a ditch after somebody pumps five bullets into your back. Um, no, that's, that's absolutely true. You know, you've got, you've got all this stuff going on and, uh, and sort of nowhere to, uh, nowhere to put it. And it makes a it makes a big difference if you can go to your fiction and go, well, I don't have it as bad as this guy. <laughs> no, it's true. When um, in, in terms of tough, it's 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 a huge endeavor for anybody listening who hasn't started a magazine or a publication or anything like that. It's 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 the mental, psychological, emotional equivalent of lifting, trying to basically deadlift the rear of a pickup truck. Do you, I mean why did why did you why did you go down the road with Tough? What's what sort of started you off working on it? Why did you, why did you decide to take on this load? Well, I started. I've been working in literary magazines from uh, from the time I was an undergraduate. I worked on my undergraduate literary magazine. I worked on my graduate school literary magazine, uh, Beacon Street Review, which then became Redivider, which still exists today, I believe. Hmm. But and um, they've al I've always seen it as a way to give back to the communities that I'm in. And as soon as I realized that I wanted to write crime fiction, that I was sort of shifting from quote unquote literary fiction into crime fiction, I knew I wanted to give back to the community that was giving to me. And tough seemed like the easy way to do that. 
because I had experience. You know, I ran a nonprofit literary magazine called Night Train for uh, mm-hmm. about 15 years. So I had a good deal of experience, you know, knowing what the pitfalls were, what the costs were going to be, and how I could cut corners to to make it to make it work. And uh, now with print-on-demand technology being as good as it is, you know, it's a lot easier to do than it was when I started out back in the early 2000s. Oh, yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. The last issue of, of Tough looked really, really good. Yeah, and the the total the total outlay for that, you know, because I have um, wonderful friends who are willing to uh, who are willing to be nice with me in terms of um, bartering uh, bartering covers and layout and stuff like that. You know, it works out really well because I remember back when in the days of Night Train, you know, we would have to lay out five thousand dollars for a thousand copies of this issue that we would send out that would then come back to us pulped, you know, and, you know, and, and that was just the cost. That was just the cost of doing business. If you wanted to be in the bookstores, if you wanted to be in Barnes and Noble, if you wanted to be where people could find you, this is what you had to do. And, and it was a brutal business that we, that we lasted in, you know, longer really than we had any right to. But now with tough and knowing, having that experience, and knowing the print-on-demand technology, you know the the cost outlay is not nearly as much. The other, you know, we're not we're not selling as many copies, but you know we don't spend nearly as much money either. Yeah, and the other thing about it too is that it, it, I feel that when when print was sort of more in this prime position, because I, I also started out in the in the magazine industry, and I remember you know just the considerable physical outlay in terms of energy and time and, you know, putting issues together. And then, you know, as you said, kind of the the capital intensive aspect of printing it and distributing and so on. Now that everything has moved online, how does that change things in terms of getting visibility on the magazine, persuading people to buy the electronic version, if not, you know, a print version and so on? How, I mean, do you find it, it, Obviously, in some respects, especially in terms of costs, I imagine it's easier, but I also imagine there's probably aspects of it that are probably a lot harder as well in terms of visibility, or is it just generally easier? Well, I'd say it's a little easier. I mean, we're in a somewhat unique position in that our content is all free and available online to anybody who wants to read it. The The print editions are for those people who don't like to read online, and there are, judging by the sales, you know, a significant number of people who who don't feel comfortable reading online and that's you know that's um that's totally cool and that's why we're doing the print the print on demand magazine for them we're always going to be free and available online but we're also going to produce these nice nice print issues that we can send to uh prize anthologies that we can send out to our writers who can say oh look you know I'm not just published online I'm published in this really nice looking print journal which is great and so, I love that yeah so I mean, we're as as long as I can, as long as I can, you know, fiscally withstand that model, you know, I'm going to use it. It's 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 always really heartening to me. In fact, I was having a, a conversation with a reader um, yesterday online where they were they were they were very adamant about that they would not, under any circumstances, read anything on Kindle or ebook format or whatever. It's it's just nice that it, there there's this this I don't want to call them a cult, but there's this subset of people out there that you know it's it's paper or it's nothing. 
And uh, I, I'm not sure why I find that so heartening, but there, there's something about it that just, it, it makes my soul sing. It's really nice that, that that community is out there. It's true. I mean, we wouldn't, we would be nowhere without the printed book. I mean, it's, it's what we all grew up loving. And the fact that we have now Kindles and Nooks and software that allows us to, to read those, to store those books in a much smaller format is only is only good for the printed word i think yeah. i mean it's a little it's a little different experience but we're always the printed book is always going to be with us because people prefer it i think the i think the the sort of uh eventual downplay of the ebook that everyone's talking about now is is still up there in everyone's mind mm-hmm. we've got we've got both options now and uh and you can make use of them as you see fit you know, I buy a lot of old books because I collect books, but uh, a lot of old paperbacks. But uh, everything new I buy is on my Kindle, and that just makes it so much easier because I've got, you know, seven or eight thousand books in the house, and really no literal room to put them. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm in I've that got, same I, I have, I had to make that switch, and it was an easy switch to make because I'm pretty comfortable reading online after all these years. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it, the other thing that I find too is is when I'm doing research or whatever, I like having Kindle books because you can you can highlight, you can cut and paste, you can do all these these things to them that just make it a lot easier to. You can search within the text. It just it really upped my game in terms of I'm writing a historical fiction novel right now, for example, and so I have a couple of books I downloaded on Kindle about the the period that I'm writing about and the ability just to be able to click on the little magnifying glass icon and insta search for something I think is probably saving me so much time over if I had the the paper version of it. So, I mean, for me, there's that aspect to it as well in terms of the actual work. Yeah. And I've always resisted, you know, people who annotate in books. I've always thought that, that, uh, that that process of writing in a book while it was nice, you know, damages the book. It's aesthetically ugly but you can do it on a Kindle with just a click of your of your finger and highlight something and go, okay, I want to come back to this. You know, mm-hmm. I w- I noticed myself doing this with uh, with 92 in the Shade, which I'm rereading oh, for the yeah. first time in a long time, and I'm noticing all of these phrases that McGuane uses that are that are really simple, but uh, but he's not using the typical word. You know, you know, copulate instead of fuck. Yeah. For one one example, which, you know, he and, and Jim Harrison both do, hmm. uh, you know, sort of they give you the unexpected word where um, where they can and uh, making a note of that in my in my Kindle so I can come back to it and figure out, you know, from a technical standpoint, what did he do here? How did he do it and uh, do that? I think that's that's been great for me just in terms of my future growth as a writer. Yeah, I love the the ability to yeah, break it down like that. It's it's, it's so essential and I mean it's 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 amazing to kind of it's one of the things I love about being a writer is that when you you do things like that and you you take a I was doing that with Dashiell Hammett's Red Harvest the other night where there's there's this one passage that describes a police convoy heading out to arrest a suspect and just how Hammett conveys action and so on. I mean, it, when you first read it, it seems so simplistic. And then when you start picking the sentence apart, it's like, wow, like, I don't know if it was intuitive on his part or if he really like agonized on a sentence by sentence level. But to, to, to look at a master and then pick apart how they did it is, is it's, it's like a puzzle. It's one of these great pleasures. The, um, yeah, yeah. The cumulative effects. 
Yeah. It's an, no, it's, it's an awesome thing to be able to do. Yeah. No, it's, it's amazing. So, I mean, in, in terms of tough, I mean, to, to, to get into the actual stories themselves, what are you looking for as, as you go through submissions and everything else? I mean, a lot of the stories in it strike me as kind of, I mean, they take place with different characters and radically different situations, but and correct me if I'm wrong, but the impression I get is that you're going for like kind of the hardest of the hard boiled in a certain way. I mean, there, 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 there's some glimmers of light in the darkness, but I mean, a lot of the writers that you select tend to take a very hard slant on things. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, that's my that's my view on the world. You know, I see it for right or wrong as a as a pretty dark place that, you know, like, you know, I have to I have to force myself. I have to sit with my family. For example, the first thing I told you tonight as we were introing, you know, I have to sit down and think what are the positive things that are happening in my life? Because if I don't think of those things, you know, I'm going to get bogged down. And so it, the viewpoint comes naturally to me. I look, I look for the dark. I look for the things that are, that are, uh, that are evil in the world, or the things that are difficult to uh, understand, or the things that make me uncomfortable. And I would like to see those things cast in out into the light, and uh, see what the characters make of them. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's but you also have humor at the same time too. I mean, you like Sean Cosby had a story recently, um, and I'm not going to spoil it for anybody, but it's. It's 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 brutal. It's it's almost uncompromisingly brutal. But at the same time, I mean, there's there's also these these bolts of humor, which I guess you need to. I mean, it can't be uncompromised brutality all the time. I mean, you need to have a little bit to leaven it, or else it's just going to be too much of a sledgehammer to the head in a certain way. I love that story. Yeah, yeah. You're talking about the grass beneath my feet. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, he was on the show the other. We were talking about that the other week. Yeah, that's right. I never got a chance to finish listening to that, so I didn't hear that part of the discussion. But, um, but yeah, that's a great story. There's, I don't want to spoil it either. But there's, there's one particular moment uh, with with a hat pin that <laughs> that just sort of, you know, that sold the story for me because I was like, okay, this isn't going to happen in any other story, but this one, I got to have it. So yeah. In in your novels, I mean, we, in, during the intro, I mentioned the Last Danger and Ridge Runner, which are are, are two parts of a of the same story. And the the character, the the main character in that, Matt Ryder, your protagonist, he he goes through an enormous amount of crap. I mean, it's it, it's it's like an apocalyptic country music song, or like you know, Cormac McCarthy, or any one of those sort of influences. I'm just when you sit down to write. Do you map out the tribulations that you're going to put him through, or is it sort of a more organic process where you get to the next chapter break and you're like, oh, this time I'm going to blow up his car or something like that? Well, I generally think, um, I'm trying to think of where I learned this. I can't remember whether it was in graduate school or whether it was soon afterwards, but I fell into uh, Larry Brown's stories and I read an interview with him where he said, you know, if you've got a character that's in a bad situation, make it worse. <laughs> just make just make it absolutely unbearable for him, and and see what he or she does in the situation. And that's that's what I do. I pile on until I see the character break or not break, and uh, see how they react. He, that's, he, that's really the yeah. sum total of my of my theory. You know, I have no I have no plan. I'm not an outliner. I go uh, moment to moment, and and uh, what comes comes. 
He, um, I mean, the, the writer's an amazing character to me just because you, you do keep escalating it and he just kind of gets fiercer. And then the, the Pittman family, that, which is the, the antagonistic family that, that he's stuck in this, this rivalry with, they get fiercer and, and someone on this side dies and someone on that side dies. I mean, it's, 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 there's, there's something almost, it struck me as something almost like primal about it. It went beyond, I mean, few, you know, just kind of your typical feud or even your typical blood feud, like straight on to almost biblical in a certain way. Like, you know, how much more Job-like is this situation going to get for him by the time all this is over? And that, for me, at least that created a lot of suspense in a certain way. It's like, how bad is this really going to get? And, oh, it, it actually, it went there. Oh, now it's going to escalate to something else now. Whoa. Yeah, you know, it was it was funny with Ridge Runner, the, um, the, the most consistent reader comment that I got in there, and this is this is maybe a little bit of a spoiler that that will um, that will throw people off. Is I killed the dog. Yeah. You're never supposed to kill the dog in a story, you know. Or yeah. if you if you have a dog in a story, you know they're supposed to. I don't know exactly what, but you know people called me out on it. You know, you killed the dog. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, you know, what else was I going to do? <laughs> the was... situation presented itself, yeah. and and. The, it seemed to me the only logical thing to do was to have the the dog die. And the dog, I love dogs, and there are dogs in almost all of my stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't re- I can't really have them because we have five cats. Yeah. But uh, but I love dogs, and so dogs are very important to me, and they were very important to me growing up. And so killing the dog was a really big moment for me. I was like, okay, you know, this is the story has gone somewhere where it's not supposed to go and I've got to write my way out of it now. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder why that is because people, and you're absolutely right. People will read unblinking all this kind of, you know, sinister bloodletting, you know, uh, among human beings and, and they're fine with it. But the second you touch the animal, all of a sudden they're ready to kick your door in and scream at you. You know, why did you do that? And it's just, it's funny to me what is it about dogs and 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 harming dogs that that get people upset in a way that they don't get upset when they're reading about equally horrible things happening to human beings. Yeah, it's I think it has something to do with dogs' eyes. Hmm. You know, when you when you look at a dog's eyes, when like when you look at a cat's eyes, they're indifferent. Mm-hmm. But when you look at a dog's eyes, or if you look at a if you look like at a deer's eyes, um, you know, especially if you've ever if you've ever. Uh, been in the unfortunate situation of having one of them die in front of you. Yeah. You know, you see the you see the light change in their eyes and all of a sudden they're gone and I think that people look at their you know the the old saying the eyes of the window of the soul or whatever is bullshit, but yeah. but there's some but there's something to the fact that you know you see if you can look into their eyes and and see love coming back then it's a bigger deal because people will excuse all kinds of shit against one another because we're all human and we realize the depths will all sink to. But when you bring in an animal, everyone thinks, or everyone should think, you know, the animal is beyond reproach. Mm-hmm. And so you, so you make a calculated decision when you kill an animal in a story to, uh, you know, you throw off a lot of, a lot of readers that way. Yeah. Hopefully not. Hopefully not too many. But you know, I know, I know, I've, I know, I threw off a couple. 
Yeah, and I, th- I think you're right about it. like even even a vicious dog is seen as that it, that it's not the animal's fault that it, that it was trained badly or that it was trained to attack or whatever. But yeah, no people don't people don't see the dog. Even a vicious dog isn't seen as evil in the same way that a human being is seen as evil or flawed or something like that. So it's no, it it is a big step. It's um, and cats too. I mean, like as 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 somebody who loves cats, I'd like to stand up here for cats and say that you know if if a cat <laughs> if a cat gets hurt in a narrative, I mean, I maybe I'm not speaking for everybody here, but I certainly get upset. I would get upset if the cat died. Oh, I do too. I do too. I don't mean to. No, I know. To, uh, I'm I'm looking at my cat right now, oh. who's just sort of who's just sort of looking at me, going, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> you know, completely completely indifferent to my presence. You know, and that's and that's the way cats are. They're just. They're indifferent until they're not, mm-hmm. and uh, but dogs are sort of on you all the time. At least what I remember of my dog growing up is he was, when I was with him, I was all he wanted to be with. He didn't want anything but to be with me. Oh. And cats just cats just aren't that way. Yeah, yeah, no, they're they're not. But I mean, they're they're. I know I I love them too. So I mean, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say anything to disparage our our, our true masters. Um. <laughs> So where so where is uh, to to get back to tough? I mean, you've you you've you've established this beachhead, and and you're you're publishing all these great writers, and and where do you? Is it just a question now of of kind of maintaining the regular cadence and continuing to publish great authors, or do you do you have a roadmap that that's taking this in a different direction, or you're 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 thinking of expanding out? What what are your plans for tough in the coming year? I think is probably the simplest way to put that. Well, the coming year is going to be more of the same, I think. Keep mm-hmm. doing what we're doing, uh, find a place for these hard-boiled crime stories and sort of horror-tinged stuff. Yeah. Uh, we just got a review on Amazon today, which I was very appreciative of, which mentioned the variety of our stories. You know, Some of them uh, vary on the supernatural, some of them uh, almost body horror, mm-hmm. uh, other, others you know, sort of uh, as noir as you can get. And I hope to continue to to bring a, a varied palette to the um, you know to the to the magazine. Uh, I think it's clear that I'm going to have to add staff uh, mm-hmm. now that we've gotten a little more popular. You know, there's there's me reading the submissions and and me only right now, and I'm I've got uh, Tim Hennessy um, who who provides me uh, absolutely essential advice and reads manuscripts when I ask him to, but he has his own things that he's into that, um, that he can't, you know, be part of the staff sort of as a, as a regular thing. But it's become clear to me, especially in the last couple of weeks, as the submissions pile up, that I've gone from a response time of, you know, six to ten days to three weeks to four weeks. So I'm going to have to add people in to read, and that... I'm sort of of two minds on that. I mean, it's going to be nice to not have to do it all myself, but at the same time, I'm the only one in charge right now. So every decision is, you know, it makes or breaks on my uh, on my opinion. And when you bring in other people, you know, you have to respect their opinion if you bring them on. And so they're you, we're going to disagree and. You know, maybe that'll be a good thing, and maybe it won't be. I remember decisions by committee are always more difficult and uh, more fraught. Yeah. And uh, so, so I'm sort of nervous about that process, but I realize I need to do it. I just can't do everything myself. 
So it, over at Shotgun Honey, the, the system that we've developed for that, because for, for all of you listening who, who aren't aware, Shotgun Honey is a site of hard-boiled uh, flash fiction. I'm an editor there along with um, a few other fine folks, but Ron Earl Phillips, who, who created Shotgun Honey and is also the, the publisher of The Last Danger and Ridge Runner and Rusty's other book, Knuckle Dragger, um, it's, 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 there is a committee that reviews all of the flash fiction submissions that are coming into Shotgun Honey, not the books, because Ron Earl Phillips is, is the sole adjudicator of that. But the committee, we have a spreadsheet, and people give the yeas or nays individually to the stories, and then Ron is usually kind of goes with the majority, but sometimes we voted maybe or no on a story, and then he comes in in his position as editor-in-chief and says, no, actually you know, we're, we're going to do this story as well. I mean, I, I, my point being, I think that there is a way to systematize it where, you know, you, you kind of have the committee help filter stuff out and then, you know, you, you kind of make the ultimate decision at the top. And I mean, it, it certainly works for shotgun, honey. I'm not, but every, every magazine is different in terms of its process. Yeah. We've had, um, when I edited, uh, and oversaw night train with, uh, my friend Rod Sino at the time, we had a staff of anywhere from six to twelve people at any given time because wow. we were getting we were getting two hundred and fifty to three hundred submissions a month, Ooh. and uh, and for the first year we gave them all personal rejections, mm. and and that was a colossal amount of work that I'm never going to do again. No, but but the uh, I forget where I was going with this, but massive rejections. Uh, yeah. yeah Basically, I I need the help, and Submittable is going to help me uh, help me control that. I mm-hmm. think with having more staff, just because it's got a it's got a set system in place where you can vote yay or nay, and uh, I can avoid having to keep a copy of the spreadsheet for three or four different people and yeah. stuff like that. So yeah. Um, yeah. so we'll see what happens. I mean, I I haven't decided yet exactly how many staff we're going to add or when we're going to add them. But certainly uh, this year is going to bring, is going to bring that. I hope also to, uh, to get back to the question to produce more consistent print issues. I'm still locked into uh, doing three print issues a year and taking off the winter uh, to concentrate on my own work. Mm-hmm. I want to publish more reviews, more interviews, and I want to do something we're, we're calling series reviews because a lot of people are writing trilogies yeah. and uh, short series, and there's really no place to review those as as total as on, in total. Yeah. So we're hope we're hoping to uh, we're hoping to ha- be in a position where we can take these two and three book series or four book series and do a twenty five hundred or a three thousand word review of uh of an entire series in in one shot which uh i don't think anyone else does if they do i haven't seen it no they generally it's it's not that i've i haven't seen anything like that at least recently i mean usually people i mean they're reviewing one book and if it's a book in the series they obviously throw in a couple of paragraphs near the end that try to put the continuing characters in the context or something like that. Like for example, if Lawrence Block does another Scudder detective novel or something like that, people kind of make mm-hmm. reference to the previous books, but not yeah, Not in, um, and that's, I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a real lift in, in terms of doing series books. If only because, you know, it, it, it sort of, it obviously demands that the reviewer, 
you know, kind of have knowledge of all the working books and so on. You know, it's not just like a read a book in the weekend and toss. Um, yeah, no, that's a, that's a, that's a huge effort. So it, it is, it is winter. So, I mean, I, I presume, what are you, what are you working on now fiction wise? What I'm working on right now is revising uh, a book that I uh, wrote actually about a year and a half ago called Sunset Approaching, hmm. and uh, it's an Appalachian crime thriller. Hmm. And I'm and it's uh, it was about fifty thousand words long, and I got some good feedback on it that I needed another character to uh, to balance out. Uh, the there's a husband and wife narrator. Uh, who are dealing with their own various problems, and uh, I needed a third character to give some counterpoint. So I'm adding in my first cop character, Ooh. which is proving which is proving to be uh, a challenge because I don't generally trust cops, and I'm and I mistrust I mistrust authority in general. <laughs> so it's been it's been a real challenge to put myself in those shoes and, and go, okay, this is a person who's trying to do the right thing here in, in at least in theory, what are going to be, what are the challenges going to be for him in this situation that I've put him in? Yeah. So, um, it's going, I think, I don't know if I would say it's going well, it's going consistently and that's as much as I can hope for. Hopefully the character will take on a life of its own and I'll have that, that crucial third section to the novel that will bring it up to, uh, you know, to around 80,000 words and some, something that will be, uh, marketable to, uh, to publishers. Yeah. The, the, the whole consistency obviously comes before the rest of it. I found at least, I mean, like, you know, the first draft is usually terrible and you kind of have to, to muscle through that and so on. The, the, the cop thing, you know, I'm, I'm definitely in the same bucket when it comes to law enforcement. How are you, how are you doing the research that goes into the law enforcement portion of the program? Just because I, I, I find it's difficult sometimes when I'm writing cops to make sure that it doesn't seem too much like, you know, I've just watched a lot of cop shows or stuff like that. I mean, how do you, how do you kind of make sure that you've got that sort of authenticity to it? Well, I'm taking the long view. I've got a lot of books. Mm -hmm. I've got a book called um, Police Pu Police Investigation and Procedure. Mm -hmm. I believe it's called by Lee Laughland, which, uh, which breaks down, you know, for writers, what exactly it is that police do and how they do it. I'm thinking about attending this conference called the Writers Police Academy. Mm -hmm. Have you ever have you ever heard of that? I have not. It sounds intriguing though. But and it's 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 exactly what it says it is. It's a police academy where the police tell the writers how things actually go in investigations and uh they do firearms training and a number of other things like that. And I'm thinking about going to that. As I said, I don't I don't anticipate this this novel being done uh, in the short term, I think it's going to take me a while to write this third perspective and then to interweave it with the other two is going to take me a while, you know, six months, eight months. Yeah. I can't, I can't really predict, but uh, long enough that I think I'm going to be able to go to this conference and get something out of it uh, yeah. to, uh, to, to help me make it feel real. 
the good thing about research like that is that, I mean, well, to use the word just is, is, is a pretty terrible word in this context, but just to, you know, you can just go back and revise, but you can, I mean, like you, you get this knowledge and then you can go back and, and sort of add that, that color to the draft afterwards. It's, it's with my books. I mean, the, the, the thing, if, if a character fires a firearm, I'm really dead set on going out and firing that same firearm myself, even though it's not always, it was possible. Um, and do that, but I mean, there's there's always sort of those limits to research in terms of what you can do, kind of in a real world context. I mean, sometimes you end up having right. to to just use your imagination, which is which is, I guess, kind of the core the core skill here. Yeah, that's. Uh, I grew up with guns, so that didn't necessarily come uh, as an issue for me. I've never, I haven't, pub, pub, I haven't uh, fired a lot of. Uh, a lot of handguns. I've fired basically everything you can fire from the shoulder. Yeah. So, um, so I'm good that way. But uh, you know, getting that verisimilitude is very important to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I feel like some of my books have done that well, and some of my books have done it a little less well. And this, I want this one to be top notch. You know, yeah. I want to, I want to sort of knock everybody in the dirt with this book if I can. I'm sure. I'm sure you will. Yeah. No. You're. You're. Uh, I mean. I was. I was finishing up the last danger the other night, and I could just the. Um, it comes off as as you know, and I say this as somebody who's certainly fired a lot of guns, but I didn't grow up with them. It was only kind of later in life that I began to kind of even have more than a glancing knowledge of firearms. But I mean, at least to, from my perspective, it came off as as really authentic, and the characters obviously really know their shit. Well, you know that's good. I mean, I do research yeah. when I have uh, I have uh, sitting over here next to me the a book called the Encyclopedia of Modern Fire and Ar- Firearms and uh, the Shooter's Bible mm-hmm. uh, books like that. Which you know, if I don't know something, and there's there's uh, a number of groups on Facebook which I found uh, invaluable for for research. Mm-hmm. You know, people people with a lot of former law enforcement uh, experience. And uh, and they've been really cool about answering questions for me if I have if I have a real stickler. Cool. So, so before we close out, yeah. So before we close out, the um, the other question I want to ask: Who are you reading right now? Who is? Uh, I mean, what's 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 on your stack in terms of hard boiled and and noir? Well, right now I've got in front of me a book called I Five, a novel of crime, transport, and sex by Summer Brenner. Oh. Jed Ayers and Kent Gowron both recommended it to me, uh-huh. and uh, I'm reading that in context of uh, another novel that I've that I've got in the can, but um, but that needs revision that has to do at least partially with the uh, with the sex trade from uh, Eastern Europe to the United States and other. And other parts of Europe. Oof. So it's um, a heavy topic. To, it is a it is a heavy topic. It's a really heavy topic, and uh, and I'm hoping to get some insight from that. And then, let's see what else am I have I got sitting here. Um, I'm reading uh, Sean Cosby's uh, My Darkest Prayer for review, which I really liked. I haven't told him yet exactly what I'm going to say, <laughs> but. Uh, but I really did like it. Uh, it's in my stack too. I haven't, I haven't gone to it, but it's, 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 I'm looking forward to it. I mean, everyone I know who's read it says really good. Yeah. I have a book called, um, murder, murder country by Brandon Daly, which is 
on my stack. That's something that uh, ABC Group Documentation, uh, the sister publication of uh, another another Down and Out Books mm-hmm. um, imprint. I have that uh, in the queue somewhere. Nice. But um, that's what I'm that's what I'm reading at the moment. Nice. Cool. Well, thank you, and um, good good luck with Tough. Everybody who is listening, definitely go and and give it a look see because it's got some of the finest crime writers working today. And while you're at it, pick up the Last Danger. <laughs>